Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Eric Klein. And I'm Paul Reismandel. Hi, I'm Jennifer Waits. And on today's show, we are going to be talking with general manager and staff advisor at two radio stations in Virginia, in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, on the occasion of it's been about a full year of the pandemic, and uh, these two radio stations have stayed on the air and fully staffed. Uh, Nathan Moore, general manager at WTJU and staff advisor for radio station WXTJ in Charlottesville, Virginia, and the University of Virginia. Thank you so much for joining us today on Radio Survivor. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad I'm, glad I'm surviving with you three. Yeah, so how are your radio stations? I mean, all in all, they're good. Um, you know, like you said in the intro, there we've we've stayed on the air with with full staffing. Early, early on, we took a bunch of measures to ensure that people could come into the station safely and do broadcasting safely. So we require masks on the way in and out of the studio. We have people wipe down the the mic screen with isopropyl and paper towel. We've got a plexiglass barrier between mic one and mic two, and our studio is big enough to where the two people can be like eight feet away from each other. And the vast majority of the time, there's only one person in there, not two. Uh, we do have a handful of people who, um, you know, basically accept being in a pod with one another who come in and co-host. Uh, and then we've got HEPA filters running in the studios as well as the common areas of the station. And so, you know, with all those measures in place, we did get approval early on from the university to keep doing our thing. And I think it really was one of those, uh, uh, especially in that acute phase of the pandemic as well, providing public service information, you know, how people can connect with resources they need, um, how people can give help if they are able to, um, how people can get just information about what's going on and feel connected to one another. So we partnered with um, uh, Charlottesville Tomorrow. It's a local web-based, you know, hyper-local journalism outlet. And they were just doing great work on, on coverage. And we've had a long-running partnership with them anyway. We do a local news podcast with them uh, every other week. And so it was a natural partnership to kind of expand. And, and we were doing daily updates, um, you know, via PSAs and, and news updates. Even though we're predominantly a music station, it was just that time. where Right, because we're talking about, um, you know, we, I lumped both your stations in into the introduction um, uh, primarily, maybe we're talking right now about WTJU, which is more of a yeah, which is right. more of what we would think of as a community radio station, where it's it's heard throughout the the city of Charlottesville, and it's mm-hmm. um, the volunteers yeah, I a, are are. I can give a quick uh, a quick explanation yeah. of the two stations. Uh, yeah, WTJU has been on the air since 1957, and it really did start off as predominantly a, a college radio station, the way you think about you know almost all students. Um, uh, somewhere around the there, there had been a number of community members off and on, but that really ramped up a lot in the '90s, and it kind of became really just a, a much more of a community radio station at a college, uh, starting in the mid '90s. When I got here in 2011, the, basically there were like three things that I was charged with doing. One was increasing fundraising, increasing listeners, and increasing student involvement. When it came to student involvement. I kind of just said, all right, well, let's just go big or go home. And so I started a whole second station, which is WXTJ. Um, And it started as a web streaming station in 2013. And then in 2016, after getting an LPFM license from the FCC, we actually put it on the air at 100.1 FM. Right. And now that that station that is on the air, uh, WXTJ, is a student-oriented Yeah college radio right. station that you're also yeah and so w yeah and so now wxtj is completely student run completely student staffed and it'll range from like old school hip-hop to uh uh you know edm or indie rock or uh, uh we've got one guy who did a show called soft and hard where the first hour was was like 
ASMR on the radio. And then the second hour was, was like hardcore thrash. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's great college radio, you know? Um, but that station also has expanded and now it has, it has, um, a cool show that just started this during the pandemic actually, uh, called Poder Latino, which is, is now the only Spanish language show in Charlottesville. The last time we spoke, on this topic was we actually interviewed you on March 20th, 2020, which was kind of a crazy week. I was looking back at everything that was happening that week. It was the beginning of shelter in place in California. And a lot of schools had already been shut down. Uh, You know, college campuses had been shutting down and then K through 12 schools were starting to shut down. So it was a really different situation for you then. And, and you had, I think one person in the studio at a time. So what I'm curious about is how you got from there to where you are now, because it sounds like you have quite a few more people are allowed in the studio. So what did it take to get from that kind of crisis moment Mm -hmm. to what sounds like a pretty operational station, like pretty much pretty Mm -hmm. close to normal, but you have different protocols in place. So the protocols are there. We also have a bunch of people still broadcasting from home. Honestly, um, at the root of it, uh, I think here's the main thing. We, in addition to those protocols I mentioned, we also did set up uh, remote broadcasting. And so between my two stations, I've got approaching 300 volunteers that are involved in, in broadcasting here at UVA. Um, and... On the student station, fully half of them broadcast from home. And so one will come into the station and host a show, and then the next show is hosted remotely, um, usually via Mixler with a back-end system we, we set up and kind of built. To, right, so uh, when you say hosted remotely, you're saying that the – Like the, from home. <laughs> that the DJs – but they are live on the air from yeah, home. Which is that's a, right. They're live on the air from home, yeah. Which is so a I've unique – Yeah. Unique for community radio, I would think. I yeah, have, and, I have and what's 70, Mixler? Tell oh, me sure. about Mixler, too. So I have 70 or 80 DJs hosting from home um, across the week, uh, fully half of them on my student station and probably 15 or so on, on WTJU. And all of those people are live when they're, they're all live. They're home? Yeah, That's yeah, they're, they're hosting live from, from home. <laughs> and so um, it was a, a big effort. A lot of people just bought their own USB mic. Uh, we also bought some for people who needed them. Um, and um, so the way it works is, Basically, we have an automation stream uh, based on some software that we built. It's just sort of like a, a pulls randomly from different folders at different times of the day. Uh, my tech guy, who's absolutely amazing, built this backend system to where um, you can kind of log into the backend of our website. It's not public facing at all. Uh, and with the push of a button, you can override automation with a live stream coming from a remote location. And so it automatically patches it onto our automation stream, which is already airing. Uh, Mixler is a really tidy piece of software that um, does three things really well. It mounts a web stream from anywhere, uh, um, and uh, it also has a built-in mixer, so you can mix like a USB mic with your computer's output, so like Mm. music or whatever. Um, And it's just a really simple interface. Like it takes two clicks, and it's really easy for even, you know, sort of technophobes to to figure out. Uh, And so, you know, it's a commercial product. We did lay out, you know, 500 bucks for the premium plan for a year. Um, but it's, you know, money well spent. We use it all the time. <laughs> um, there are ways to do the same thing, to, to mount a web stream from home and merge uh, two different audio sources with free tools. But um, it just, at the end of the day, a lot of my users just couldn't get it to work consistently 
uh, you know, they just kept messing it up. So we just use the one that's, you know, commercial product, but it, it works really, it's got a really nice GUI. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the, the kind of the tech how of how we're doing it. Um, but I mean, there's a lot more than just the tech, you know, but I would say that, um, yeah, as far as like how we're going about it, you know, broadcasting still happening. That's with, very uh, exciting. I mean, yeah. I, I, what the, the, the place that my mind goes to first is that for my, my experience of the last 12 months have been a extremely, um, like, like dampened version of reality. And it sounds like students at your radio station have been given the opportunity to fully engage in college radio uh, in a way which I'm, I'm wondering, it sounds like it might be very unique for the year. I would think that um, maybe Jennifer knows better than I do. I would think that a lot of college radio stations and a lot of students had a, um, you know, didn't get to participate in college radio in, in the pandemic year the way that uh, students at the University of Virginia sounds like uh, they were able to because of um, the way that you guys uh, used, you know, yeah. kept, kept, kept things going. I, I think we're, we're um, certainly, uh, I don't know that we're like first in the pack, but I think we're pretty tech forward as the station goes. Um, there are other college stations that have also figured out, you know, patching systems to do remote broadcasting live from home. Um, uh, you know, I'm in touch with a number of stations around Virginia at, at other colleges in the state. Um, I'm in touch with the, the people over at my alma mater, West Virginia University. Um, you know, a lot of colleges have just completely closed down their stations. They're like, nope, we're just not going to do it. Um, and I think that's sort of a shame because, as you say, it's it's not just like a, a, a club or something that students do, but it's also part of this kind of like co-curricular experience and part of the life and culture of a, of a university campus as well. Um, and so to just sort of shut it down and say, you know, put it on the jukebox, eh, that yeah. kind of stinks. And, and I would know? add yeah. that during the pandemic, um, strengthening the ties between humans, you know, listening to the sound of community members' voices or things that they're passionate about when they share music with you, you know that you're hearing something that's being played for you by somebody in your community, these these uh, these things that make radio special become more important during during the year. Well, and and building we community, you know, I, I think a lot about that about what it's like. And and Nathan, maybe you can explain more of the situation at University of Virginia as far as how many students are on campus. But I think this is something that a lot of people are really concerned about: is how are you building community between students during this time when you might not actually physically be together and and how does that affect well students first of all but but also a a college radio station where hanging out at the station is part of part of the whole deal right you know so it's completely different so how are how are kids handling that at university of virginia or students young yeah yeah right right (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's funny. I, I usually say, you know, students or young adults and then, and then the student leaders of, of the station will call themselves kids. I'm like, oh, right. right. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, it's, it's, it definitely is different, right? I mean, you know, I, I did say we're still going on. We still have, you know, probably uh, well over a hundred people that pass through the station throughout the week, but still only one max of two at a time. Right. I mean, we're still following even more strict rules than what the governor requires. Uh, we haven't done any in-person events and so on. Um, and that same goes for, for our students as well. You know, there's no student house concerts. They're, they're not using our stage either. Um, and it's tough. I mean, honestly, it's just really tough. Um, I know, 
that there is that connection. I've kind of made the joke, but it's not really a joke, that radio was the original wireless, right? And so now we use IP and Zoom to connect with one another, uh, but radio's been doing that for 100 years. Um, you know, sharing voices across space, sort of through the seeming magic of, of telecommunications technology. Um, I, as far as the students at UVA go, I think, um, you know, I, all I really know are my DJs and then a few others who I interact with through, through academic coursework. Um, I, you know, everybody's struggling. Uh, I think some people are, some of them are struggling more than others. I think the station has provided a really nice outlet for them to feel connected to something and to feel connected to one another. I have to um, say that it's very impressive to me that you've kept your studios open. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm very jealous of the notion of leaving my house to go engage in a, in a unique community activity, even if I was all by myself, just, uh, just having that opportunity to, to enter a new, to enter a new workplace and, mm-hmm. and do my, do my volunteer job would, yeah. um, what an and honestly, and honestly, it's been almost all volunteers at the station, hardly any paid staff. I mean, I've been working from home. My, all my staff have been working from home for 11 months now. Um, you know, I realize on the podcast, you won't see this, but, but the three of you can see my, my background is, is my home office. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it really is just a volunteer in the whole building most of the time. Uh, and, you know, we'll, I'll go in, like I was there yesterday, I had to pick up some stuff. Um, I have another staffer who'll go in there to do some gift processing and mail out thank you gifts, but you know, we're not working there all the time. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, I, am confident that we have not been a COVID spreading site <laughs> at the same time. Uh, you know, um, it, it is, so yeah, it does feel nice to do that. Um, I think, you know, I was just reminded of this quote. There's a, um, a friend of mine who's a neuroscientist here at UVA. He, he does research on, on why we hold hands, why we hug each other. Uh, and, um, there's just a little Q and a write up in UVA's sort of, you know, uh, publication UVA today. And, uh, uh, and you know, just that, that, that sensation of being close to one another just feels nice. Right. And shows that we care. Um, and we can't do that, but I still think it, about it in sort of this broader term. If you kind of zoom out from just a physical hug to the next sort of like social level, I'm reminded of this old Vonnegut quote where he says, you know, what should young people do today? Well, many things, of course, but but one of the most daring is to create stable communities to cure the disease of loneliness. And I was like, ooh, that's nice. And so, I mean, honestly, in a way, that's kind of what I've been trying to do with my work in radio since I started in radio, was to make those connections and help cure the disease of loneliness. That's That's beautiful, and it, it makes me think about the time that I came out to visit you at University of Virginia, where you put together this whole consortium. I mean, I guess it was supposed to be sort of a one-off meeting of people from college radio stations from Virginia. And and I remember even joking, you know, is this the beginning of the Virginia college radio, you know, society, or I don't know what terminology. So you, you hinted at me that maybe that has now become a new organization that you've started. Is that yeah. An outgrowth of this community building that you like to do. It is. It is. So you were there in March of 2017. Um, we ended up having a, a, a little impromptu conference that fall. Um, and then we did another one the following fall and another one the following fall. And so, yeah, we've actually incorporated it. Now what we call it is the Virginia College Radio Alliance. 
And so all the people that you were there uh, with have all now graduated and gone off to do other things. But, um, you know, college radio keeps sustaining itself somehow. And so each year there's new people who come in. And, and yeah, so we did a, um, a virtual conference again uh, in October. Um, well, rather, this was a virtual conference. Usually we've done them in person, just at our event space at the station. Um, 2020, we did it by Zoom. And, yeah, we had incorporated. So now it's its own 501c3. Uh, and we chose the word alliance. So it's the Virginia College Radio Alliance. And what and what's the benefit of? I mean, this is something that when I used to go and visit college radio stations in the before times, I, I was always encouraging people to connect with nearby stations to, you know, especially think about this past year. A lot of us have really been reaching out to other radio stations to find out tips about how they're broadcasting. So, so I'm curious about what the goals are for creating this alliance what what do you hope to gain from being communication with other stations from virginia Uh, honestly my gain is is paying it forward as much as anything um you know i've been working in this field for 23 years now (laughs) which is weird to think about um but uh I see a lot of stations just kind of struggling with some of the same stuff, you know, whether it's content or uh, actually for programming, often they're, they're very good. And for like engagement and events and outreach, they've got a lot going on too. But things like finance and fundraising and how to avoid some common mistakes in, in events and outreach and also common mistakes in like relations with your license holder, the university. Um, and so trying to get people together to just learn from each other. And my student station learned from them too. You know, they kind of like redeveloped, this is back in 2018, they kind of like rejiggered their their leadership structure after one of those conferences, after seeing how it's done at, at other stations. There's sort of many hands make light work. And so they sort of figured out, oh, let's have a social chair and let's have an events chair and let's have a, you know, all these different things. Um, and so it's just about learning from each other, any kind of membership organization like this, um, you know, coming together to, to, to strengthen what we do, uh, based on sort of peer to peer learning. Um, and then, yeah, you've got the occasional oldster like me, who's been around this for a long time. And I can say like, well, here's a solution that's been sort of worked out. Well, you know, if y'all want to go try it, I don't want to overplay it. I, I mean, the, the organization is not, uh, super duper active. We don't have like, you know, weekly calls or anything like that. <laughs> it's just uh, basically a listserv. But yeah, it's been a, a way to have this kind of like annual conference and there's a website and just, I kind of want it to be a front porch for anybody who happens to, to be looking for College Radio in Virginia, you know? Um, I also hope to eventually get like Google AdWords so that we get that sweet, sweet, you know, donated ad money <laughs> and can promote these stations publicly. Um, but we haven't quite gotten there yet. You know, I, I think Nathan, I mean, it, I always enjoy having an eye in to the uh, folks who try to organize between stations because it's something which obviously bears a lot of benefits for the stations involved. But I think at the same time, sometimes folks go into it a little overambitious uh, where they're hoping – Especially around programming, because you, uh, when you said you noted that you know we could talk about programming, everyone kind of has that down, and I think that's right. I mean, I think that that if there's something that college stations and community stations tend to be very good at, in a, in a lot of ways, is their programming, and and it may be in part because it's it's so reflective of the community in a lot of ways, whether it's a student community or the broader community. Um, you know, and, and it's not that they can't learn from each other and learn tips, but sometimes those tips tend to be more, uh, it seems to me, on a tactical side 
right? Of like, oh, how might we help our talk show hosts level up a little bit, or how might we address this particular problem, right? And and and, and sometimes you know I've heard folks talk about and want to do like program exchanges, right? And and frankly, I've never seen it go off yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. in all my years, in, you know, which is now unfortunately going in like thirty uh, some years being in and around community radio and college radio. Uh, you know, in part because it, it tends to be a bigger problem than people recognize, right? And as we know here, Radio Survivor, we syndicate our program, and we've got a, got a way to do it, and we've set it up, and it works, and it's it works, super, and it is also work. It is work, and it is work, and it's low key, but it is work, right? And all the things that you have to do to make a program acceptable for any station as opposed to just your station, you realize is oh, that's extra work, right? And and we do it, and and. When I say we, I mean Eric Klein does it, and <laughs> you you built the we website, it. Paul. You built the website, and and you know it's and and why why I sort of bring it up, right, is because I think having that expectation for what or, or you know having realistic expectations of what a group can do, an association can do, is kind of important because it, it keeps you from spinning your wheels in a lot of ways, um, right? And 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 you know there's like a similar. Uh, community radio exchange or association here in Oregon, right? And again, it's mostly sets its sights on how do we commonly address, you know, and, and these are mostly stations that are uh, independent nonprofits. So how do we deal with Oregon tax situations, for instance, state tax or something like that, things that it, they uniquely uh, take on um, versus, you know, what might even happen at like a grassroots radio conference, which we've talked about here um, as well, and I'm, you've participated in Nathan, which also tries to help stations level up in different ways, understanding that the loose affiliation, while sometimes seems like a deficit, right? You know, meaning you're not passing resolutions necessarily. I don't know if your if your um, your college radio alliance is you know lobbying at the state house. Or, no, we're not doing know, anything with like the that. Commonwealth, right? <laughs> right. But, but, you know, I mean, and there are certain advantages to that, but also, you know, can also be very derailing, right? To all of a sudden feel like you have to pass resolutions and accomplish lots of things when really most of the, most of the, the benefit comes from folks understanding how to, what are some other ideas on how you run a station? What are some other ideas on how you can, you can present? Um, you know, and, and, and yet also I think it's important to have that. And so I know, Nathan, you, you've become uh, the, uh, the, the board chair for an organization like that, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, which, you know, his goal is really to support community radio, right? To support stations uh, like, like WTJU, WXTJ. And I'd love to, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Like, um, you know, especially, I mean, I think that support has probably been super critical for a lot of uh, smaller stations in particular, but stations in general during this last year of dealing uh, with the coronavirus. And, and, I, and I come to this, you know, my real question is, you know, as like uh, being on the board of directors there and being on the board chair, like what what is your responsibility? What is it you, you're able to do? Because for folks who don't know, uh, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters has a staff, right, uh, who who do much of that sort of direct liaison and advising and 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 if there needs to be, I guess, some occasionally some types of of lobbying, working with the FCC, working with the Librarian of Congress or something. What does the board do? How does that? And is that all, it's all made up of folks who come from stations, more or less? So uh, the board of NFCB these days has, has nine people on it. Um, and it's not all people from stations, although a number of us are uh, managers at stations. But there's also, um, uh, 
you know, there's, there's a, a communications lawyer on the board. There's a, another woman who um, works on sort of like FCC policy for tribal reservations. Um, there's uh, uh, another woman who's part of uh, uh, AIR, um, you know, the, uh, used to be called Association of Independence and Radio. Um, you know, so it's, it's a lot of people throughout the kind of like media ecosystem, um, not just sort of overworked station managers. <laughs> um, but it's a, a lot of perspectives, and it is honestly also, I think, probably the, the most diverse board in public media right now. Um, mm. It's just on, in terms of gender and, and, and racial and ethnic categories and, and age as well. I mean, it's a really neat group to be a part of. Um, and everybody's smart, you know. Um, but uh, what that board actually does, um, I mean, a lot of it is helping to guide uh, strategy, right? So the, the organization has a new strategic plan that it rolled out um, uh, in the spring, uh, pretty much right before the pandemic set in. And what was really interesting was going back and reading it again afterward. We, there are a few little tweaks that we made, you know, uh, um, once the pandemic started, but a lot of it was still really, really correct. Like most of it, we didn't have to change. It was about, you know, NFCB supports uh, stations creating more resilient communities. Um, it is a learning system to provide resources to stations to do that, to create healthy, resilient communities where people are connected to one another and have public information that's important and are cultural beacons for their communities. And those things are all still completely true, pandemic or not. Uh, how we do it is a little different, but um, it actually, to me, spoke really well to the values and need for the organization and the work we're doing. It it really it reminds me of a a local NFCB event that I went to that was in Santa Rosa, and it was largely focused on emergencies and how stations responded to wildfires and and so those conversations about emerge how you broadcast during a crisis those seem to really loom large in NFCB before the pandemic. So that makes a lot of sense to me what you're saying that the the goals of the organization were already sort of mirroring, you know, were you were prepared already for the type of situation that we were going to have in 2020 and beyond. Mm -hmm. What's, what's kind of wild about the NFCB is, is also the diversity of the stations that are part of it. So you've got, you know, tons of, of brand new LPFMs, maybe not brand, brand new, but you know, new LPFMs or, or other small stations or uh, that are, running budgets of under $50,000. I mean, it's just run by volunteers who probably, you know, lifted the antenna onto the tower themselves a few years ago. And then you've got stations um, that are, you know, you've got rural stations, you've got urban stations, you've got some stations at historically black colleges and universities, you've got a lot of tribal stations, um, you've got a lot of independent community stations. And so, you know, then there's this, uh, a bunch of us like TJU that are also, you know, a little larger running budgets of, you know, half mil or more. Um, but it's, it's just this really neat mix, but we're all kind of trying to you know, fundamentally do something similar, um, which is to enrich our communities, make them healthier, and more resilient. I wonder if you can talk, yep. Nathan, about, um, about, uh, how you've been uh, keeping, keeping, getting new people involved in the radio stations that you help run, um, you know, from that perspective, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially, during uh, the pandemic, during, during the pandemic, when it's <laughs> when it's impossible to meet face to face, yeah, that's been tough. Um, you know, we we used to get uh, we have a, a, a online uh, 
volunteer application. And so you can just kind of see when everybody has applied and all that. And we used to get like, you know, a couple applications a week. And then I think we had two applications between March and like November. <laughs> um, so very few. Um, what's, what's the process there? So, you know, the station where I volunteer, KFJC, every quarter there's a radio class and that's kind of the introductory piece to joining the station. And, and that was on pause for a while, but now that's happening virtually, remotely over Zoom. So I'm curious, what is the pipeline like for your stations? Do you do people have to go through that sort of gatekeeping process first? We don't have a, a centralized class in that way. Um, my student station, WXTJ, they open up applications every fall uh, and uh, bring on just scores of, of new DJs. And they did that this year. Uh, the training was all remote. Um, um, and were there people... Were there people who were who were doing college from home across the country and yeah. then joining up with the station? Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of cool that it actually opens up, uh, that it's open, well, to more people, the same amount of people. I guess they would have been in person had there not been a pandemic. But, right. But that's interesting that you might have people from afar. Yeah, yeah, uh, geographically distant, even though um, they're part of the university still. Uh, and the same goes for our pledge drives. You know, we don't have phone answers coming in during pledge drives anymore. We forward the calls to um, we, every two hours. We have to rewire the number that we forward to, and so we forward to a couple phones uh, where people are to answer to answer calls. And yeah, a recent graduate who now lives in Chicago, you know, he he was answering phones for one of our pledge drives, and it's like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, but um, as far as WTJU's onboarding for some new volunteers, we have had some people come in. And, you know, I think the other thing about this, too, is is uh, we haven't fundamentally changed any of the rules that we set up, you know, 11 months ago. But that said, as we learn more about how this virus actually transmits, it's become clear that, oh, we actually can bring in somebody new to train. So we'll have one DJ and then a new trainee watching them from the other side of the room behind plexiglass, both wearing masks and, and with a, an air filter running. And that's pretty darn safe. I mean, it's not zero risk, but it's pretty low risk. Yeah, it sounds, um, it sounds like I'm just going to say it, it, that it sounds like that you're very lucky that you are working within the, within the, within the confines of the University of Virginia because um, – that air filter is is legit, and also somebody probably did some real <laughs> someone really did their homework i'm assuming you know to it it's not it's not it's not hygiene theater to run a HEPA air filter in a workplace in order to keep people safe it's actually really doing the job yeah well you know I think uh as the pandemic wore on, we started to realize that that you know wiping down everything with isopropyl wasn't really that necessary um but we still have it, you know, especially for the mic screens. I think that is actually it's, pretty It's valuable. probably preventing the spread of other viruses well yeah that too, <laughs> that too. no more flu virus <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um but the uh uh you know we're actually just off grounds we're not actually on on the central mm. part of uva's campus these days we we moved in 2019 to a new space um but we still you know report to the provost's office and so there was somebody in the provost's office who was tasked with like making sure all the units were had a plan to do modified operations and and that that plan checked out and so yeah right. it, it did uh, go how through much, a review. Uh, as briefly as you're able i suppose how Everywhere is so different that I'd like to ask, how is the University of Virginia handling the pandemic? How much? How many people are still 
using the campus physically. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Uh, they, you know, the university has kept uh, classes running both in the fall semester and spring semester, uh, but it is predominantly online instruction. Um, I think so, I, I read or heard somewhere that something like 85% of classes are online, even though there are also in-person classes happening. Um, what's happening, though, is that you've got a, a, a room like Old Cabell Hall that seats like 700 people that has a class of like, you know, 60 meeting in it. Hmm. <laughs> um, and so... Um, that's just really for a handful, really for the most part, the, the only class, I mean, there's a few in-person classes that probably could be online, but mostly the, the in-person classes are like labs and things like that, where you really need access to the stuff. In January, actually, I taught a, a two week, uh, J term class on, on sound production and storytelling that was all by zoom. Uh, and that had its own challenges, you know, I mean, the audio quality wasn't quite what we would hope for with, with sort of professional field recorders or studio gear, but it wasn't bad. Um, the hardest thing honestly was, was tech support in Adobe audition remotely. Um, you know, especially for like Mac users. Cause the other, my co-teacher and I were both PC guys. And so it was like, Oh, I don't know how to fix that. Well, I guess we got to figure this out. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of screen sharing, I guess. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Cameras <laughs> that are facing the computer as opposed to facing away from a computer. <laughs> I don't know. No, we, we sorted it out. Um, and got some, you know, some really good pieces out of it too. You know, I, so one question I have, and, and and this might be my naivete now. I haven't been regularly inside a station uh, for about, uh, I guess it's eight years now. And, you know, a big component of, of college radio and, and then certainly of, of, of your community radio station as well as music, right? And so my my reflection is always like that the enormous music library at the station is 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 an asset, right? You know, the, the CDs and the LPs and you know, not in so in terms of both planning out a show and then sometimes having those moments of inspiration or a request where you run into the library to pick something out. With all these, especially students broadcasting from home, where's the music coming from? Yeah. <laughs> That's just my sure. question. Well, I'll tell you, honestly, most of my students d- didn't really use CDs or LPs anyway. You know, they're that's pulling, what I hear. Is that that's tracks. the trend? Yeah, they were pulling digital yeah. tracks from from whatever sources they used, um, and so uh, that's. Uh, I mean, they can just play it that way. You know, um, our uh, our CD players in the student station studio are, are going to last forever, probably because they just don't get used that much. <laughs> um, but no, we do. We have those assets at the station. We've got you know thirty some thousand CDs and forty some thousand LPs. It's it's a big collection. Um, but you know, even the, the the DJs for WTJU and both my stations are predominantly music. We we slip in little interstitials, uh, kind of cultural features and and community conversation bits. But uh, it's not a there's no news department really. It's it's uh it's not like there's a news block. Um, and so they're music stations, they're cultural uh, uh, entities. Um, and you know, even before the pandemic. Um, uh, you know, I've described the station often as being technologically agnostic, uh, mm-hmm. which is totally true. Like, and, and I've got, you know, hosts will come in, they'll play some 45s, they'll play some CDs, they'll play some stuff off YouTube that they have permission for, uh, they'll play some digital files, uh, you know, like MP3s or whatever. And it's like, you know, all in one show, <laughs> which is kind of awesome. Right. It's, it's the best of freeform radio is, is using all the tools you have at your disposal to make something creative and interesting. Um, but 
it also means that I have to maintain all that <laughs> equipment. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and I'm just remembering my, my DJ years. Again, I haven't really uh, hosted anything regularly for about eight years. And, you know, the library being really key. And it isn't that I ever didn't ever bring in my own music either on LP, CD, or, or, or increasingly digital. But that, you know, because, you know, stations are in the pipeline of that new release schedule, right? And very often stations get releases before they're available commercially, although I'm certain that's changed some. In, in, in the primarily digital music world than, than, than when folks relied more on, on physical. And, so, and that's just where it came from. And, and so I guess, you know, and, and, and for the students, they're used to most of their music being digital probably. Or yeah. even if they're buying LPs, they're probably getting a download card mm-hmm. so that they've got it on digital as well uh, in addition to their – to their LPs and, 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 and probably even when you get into some genres like EDM, they might be dealing directly with artists. They might be dealing with sound, SoundCloud artists, right? You know, folks who are not on a label in the same way, right? Who, you know, and, and may never be releasing anything in a physical format that would never make it into, <laughs> into the station premise. Do you, do you have, um, do you have a digital music library as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. Besides our yeah. physical, besides our physical media, we've got a twelve terabyte server full of full of MP3s, uh, and we add to it as well. Um, so you know, a lot of those digital releases we add to the library. And we've uh, my tech guy, in addition to all the other amazing stuff he's done at the station, he also uh, uh, set it up so that so that hosts can um, preview those tracks from home. So that servers. I was going to ask you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You log you that. log into the back end of our website. You can check out the library preview stuff and build a playlist uh, on the back end, so it's ready when you get there. I'm curious. Um, you know, I am I am still doing a radio show at, at my radio station, but now I'm doing it at home. So I'm accessing our station's digital library when I used to do a show only playing physical music at the station, and so I know that. The air sound of KFJC, for example, where I DJ, has probably changed a little bit because we don't have as many people going into the station, and we're playing a lot of reruns, so shows from the archives, and there are a handful of people doing shows at home, and and new things being added to our library are being digitized so we can access those from home. But But I do think there's a lot of music that's not a lot of new music at the station isn't getting heard as much because you don't have as many people going into the station. Is that are you get is that happening at WTJU, Nathan? Um, do you feel like the air sound has changed because people are doing their shows in slightly different ways? Um, I don't know that it's enough to where I've noticed. Uh, maybe maybe to some extent what you described, but you know, again, like at WTJU, my my community station. Eighty percent of the DJs are still coming in, um, and so they've got all the same tools they normally would have. Uh, the one tool we don't have is, hey, let's set up a live band and, and put that on the air. You know? Yeah, I was wondering about that. So, yeah. are you doing? You know, I know that you used to do a ton of live performances, yeah, so that stopped entirely. We cut all that off. Yeah, we used to have anywhere from two to five or six live bands every week. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that went to, to zero. Um, we did partner with a, a, a sort of music school nonprofit in town that has a little stage and they were running a series of two or three, uh, live shows per week that were just the band, you know, in a pod together, uh, that they would live stream online and we would broadcast. Um, uh, those have, have 
continued, but now it's just one a week. Um, you know what's kind of cool, though? I've got a few DJs, three or four of them, especially in my folk and roots department, who've taken the opportunity to, you know, since these artists aren't touring, they're now bringing on pretty you know, relatively big name artists in their fields to um, to come and join the show and like co-host for an hour uh, by Zoom. Hmm. And so, like, we had Beppe Gambetta on, uh, you know, just the other day. Uh, we've got, um, you know, all these all these sort of, like, folk and roots artists that are, like, just tremendous at, at whatever their instrument is. <laughs> you know, Grammy winners and stuff. They're just joining us by Zoom to, you know, host a folk show in, in Charlottesville. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, that's what I've heard, that with, <laughs> that with a lot of people being at home, people are more accessible in a way. You can, you can get big interviews with people or, yeah. you know, have people co-host. Um, I'm curious if if you're trying if you're trying to figure out ways to have live music again at the station and if you have suggestions for stations that are itching to do that. Mhm. I mean, I think you can do it. Uh we've got a plan uh that I've just submitted to the university and this is one again, we have to get approval for this kind of thing because I do report to a university. Um I'm confident that it's covid safe where we basically have a band that's in a pod together. They've already establish that amongst themselves uh our engineer is actually in the next room we have a little studio so on our first floor we have a stage normally it can seat about 30 35 people in there and then there's a little um eight foot by eight foot studio that can be a broadcast studio but mostly it's just an engineering booth and so close the door engineers in there doing his thing uh the band is out on the stage 30 feet away doing their thing they're not going to spread covid to each other um and there's no audience um so that's that's the hope um I mean, man, I, I love the idea of getting an audience again, right? But uh, at least we can hopefully have some live music and and um, uh, and put it on the air at least. You know, that's been yeah. sort of a, a hallmark of WTJ's programming for a number of years. Nathan Moore, you're the general manager at WTJU in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, has there been any effort? Uh, uh, to, you did describe earlier in the show that students at the – more um the more college student oriented radio station that you're the staff advisor for uh were volunteering in um i guess quote unquote normal amounts during the pandemic year what how how have you been um have you been finding uh new volunteers during the last 10 months at the at your community radio station so a few have come on board, uh, not that many. <laughs> uh, you know, we had like, like I said earlier, like basically no applications for new volunteers from March through probably like August, uh, maybe like one person, you know? Yeah. And I wonder uh, if on, on the one hand that might be, I mean, some people might not have as much, some people have a lot of free time and some people have a lot less, right? Yeah, no, exactly. how your pandemic's going. Well, we, we have had some applications more recently. Uh, I think, you know, as the acute phase turns into, okay, this is something we're living with, people want to get involved. And so we have had, uh, again, a few people who've, who've come on. Uh, Jennifer mentioned earlier at her station that she does, uh, that that station does quarterly, like, radio classes. Our onboarding is, is a little bit more ad hoc. And so somebody comes in and we kind of have them essentially partner with one or maybe a couple DJs and they, they sort of learn the ropes from that person. And then we have a, um, a volunteer coordinator who, who sort of does their final exam. 
um, make sure they actually know everything uh, that they need for, for broadcasting. Um, and that's a system that works pretty well. The volume of new volunteers coming in is not so high that we have to have like a formal class. Uh, and that volume has been even lower, obviously, during, during COVID. Uh, we have onboarded a few people. Again, um, our studio is relatively large. And so we can have the, the new volunteer sit eight feet back. We can have both the DJ and the new volunteer wear masks and so on and so forth and, and do it safely. Um, the, uh, and then, you know, swap places when it's time for that volunteer to actually like learn how to use the controls. Um, so I don't know. I mean, yeah. we're, we're adapting the short version. One of the you sound pretty that, lucky in that respect too, yeah. that you have a big space. Cause yeah. not every, you know, there are stations that have studios in very small enclosed rooms. Right. So, oh yeah. And, you, you couldn't be six feet away from somebody in some studios I've, I've worked in. I know. And it's, I know. I mean, and, and it's up, I'm, I'm no expert, but I would say that it's in Southern California right now where we definitely have a COVID outbreak. That's um, the worst in the nation or in New York city during the height of the pandemic in the, in the spring, maybe even, even that level of social distancing would have not been safe when in Charlottesville, Virginia, at this point, um, it's rel- it's, it's a lot lower risk. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything you can say about, um, the types of people who are capable of volunteering. Was there ever, um, was there ever any effort in the, you know, in the, the time before the pandemic to, to, you know, broaden the diversity of people who can volunteer at, at your radio station and, and what's going on with that in these days? I'll say that, you know, as, as the manager of WTJU, um, I think we could and should do a better job reflecting the community that we broadcast to in terms of who is part of our volunteer corps. Um, you know, it is a predominantly white collection of, of, of on-air volunteers. Uh, and so, you know, there's, um, I'm not sure if y'all are, are familiar, there's, there's been a, a good bit of movement around this in the sort of public media sphere. And so WTJU signed on for public media for all, uh, sort of a mm. diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, uh, coalition or organization. Yes, we, we, yeah. we did an episode, uh, late in 2020, um, with, uh, public media for all. So oh, excellent. We'll that, excellent. We'll put that in the show in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, please do. Uh, yeah, we signed on for that. And I think they're, you know, what's great about about that organization, too, is they're very thoughtful. They came up with like an 11 point action plan. Like here are 11 action steps that you should take at your station and commit to doing one of them in a month and five of them in a year and 10 right. of them in three years. And I was and like, oh, that's. To, and explicitly, that's uh, to make your station more welcoming to yeah. staff members, both paid and volunteer in our in our case, what's talking about that are people of color. Uh, exactly. Even, exactly. Even stations that um, that that say they are open might might not be as open as they wish they were. Yeah. More welcoming and and a better space for the people who are already there. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think that's an interesting component of that. That you know, it's one thing to welcome and invite people, but you know, you also want to have a situation that is a good workspace, and that's not always the case. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that being part of their plan. Absolutely. And so there's a, uh, you know, there's a, a good metaphor that Nina Simon uses in her, her book, The Art of Relevance, uh, where she talks about, and that's actually a book that we use at the NFCB a good bit in this sort of uh, community counts initiative that we do. It's a cohort of 10 stations, like, like working to grow their organizational capacity. Uh, and um, it's sort of a, a smart like kind of like cohort-based learning system to do that. Anyway, Nina Simon's book, she has a a good metaphor. She says, you know, 
when somebody sees your shop, when they see the door, metaphorical door, you know, of, of your place, is that a door they want to walk through? And then when they get inside, do they want to stay? And you need to have your, your insiders already think the door's fine and the space is fine, right? But the outsiders you want to bring in, that's the hard part, right? And so do you need new doors of accessibility or do you need to change the room or do you need to do both? And I think there are some things we could do better at both. Um, and I think, um, you know, there, there are some early plans. We're actually in our own strategic planning process right now, and this is going to be part of it. I think that's a, those are great questions for every college or community radio station to take on. Um, you know, because it's hard. You said exactly the, the folks who are already inside think the door is fine, think the room is fine. It's very hard to see that objectively often. Right. And to and to to try and figure out what is it that I'm not seeing because I'm not looking for it, right, especially especially my- if you already have like enough volunteers. Right. If, if you're not yeah. like lacking for 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 participation, you might not notice that uh, that your volunteers are trending towards us in a certain way. Or, or even if you don't have enough volunteers. Right. I mean, I think a lot has changed in the last decade or two and and folks are more primed to think in terms of equity and inclusion than they used to be um but it it can you know it it, i think still there's a tendency and i don't know if you've seen this nathan working with other stations you know especially with overloaded volunteer run stations you know where there's little paid staff to get defensive and, and you know or think well you know people just aren't interested in radio any longer Right. And it's just young people don't like radio or, or, you know, folks don't care about radio anymore. Or the only people who care about radio are the old folkies or et cetera. Right. And, and to get out of a defensive posture, you know, and in part because it can be tough to assess what is, is your, what is your door like and what is your room like. It can be tough to, to do that kind of examination and put in that what seems like even extra effort beyond what is often already a lot of effort you're doing just to kind of keep keep things together i mean i don't know is that something you've you've encountered and and how do you i mean i've not read this book i really want to want to read it now um how do you how do you work with folks who who are having um those challenges uh yeah i mean i think there are a lot of stations i've either uh, been a part of or seen from afar that are kind of like radio clubs you know um, mm-hmm. and, and it's people who care about it deeply and are passionate about what they're doing in, in these community radio stations. Um, but again, if, if our mission is to serve a broad public, you know, to reflect the places we live in and, and provide needed culture and information to them, then we have to be conscious and cognizant of that. We have to put audience first and, and think about who that audience is going to be. Um, I have, um, you know, I was at one station that, that uh, uh, had a staff collective, and I, I love that station, but, you know, that staff collective structure did sometimes really make it difficult to make changes. If you had just one or two staff members or some relatively small number of people who just kind of wanted to protect what was already there, protect the turf that was there, it was real hard to make change, even ones that a lot of Because they people... wanted consensus, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and so I'll say, you know, I've been at WTGU for 10 years. Um, I'm not saying that everybody loves me, but, um, but I've built up some political capital. And so, you know, there is some benefit to having the words general manager after your name. And I can say, look, this is a priority for the station. 
I want y'all to mull it over <laughs> and we're going to try to better reflect our community. Yeah, because I'm, I'm wondering especially, I mean, obviously the last 11 months were an emergency unlike any of anything that any of us have lived through before and unlike any that any community radio station has ever had to deal with. Um, but now that emergency situation is uh, we're in its, we're, you know, we're entering the second year of, of this new situation for stations. I'm, I'm, you know, is what, what can you do to, to make sure that, that people who normally wouldn't feel comfortable in the first place, stepping forward and saying, I should volunteer at that station. I mean, how do you find them? How do you find them? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, you need to find people who are kind of like insider outsiders. Um, you know, those who, who have found you and like you and are part of you already, but also are part of this other community you want to reach better. Mm. Um, so that's one way. I think also going out and showing up, you know. Um, again, I'm not saying we're perfect at this, but, um, you know, we had a big old controversy in Charlottesville about statues, Confederate statues of all the goddamn things to have a controversy about. Uh, and, you know, they're finally starting to come down. So I'll go out there and run sound for the protests. You know, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. How's, um, that, how's that been this year? <laughs> I went and ran sound for one of the protests. Everybody's wearing okay. masks as uh, one of the statues came down. And we all kind of watched as the, the, the crew trying to take it down struggled mightily to actually get it off the pedestal. <laughs> um, but and, uh, and what, does that, what does that mean to run sound for the protests? Were you airing this over your station or yeah. like, where was the sound being broadcast? Yeah, so we actually came up with a playlist, basically, to like, it was like a, like a party playlist for the people outside there. And then we did some interviews with some of the activists and other community folks that, that stopped by the, the table as well. Um, and so that was what I meant by running sound. Yeah, we had a full you know, remote broadcast rig uh, from on-site. Um, and, oh, uh, so, you're, so you're still able to get out there and do some remote broadcasts. We haven't done a ton, but yeah, um, you know, we've done a couple like that uh, where it's outdoors. Yeah. You know, I like that framing you put of the radio club um, and that being a way to, to, to think about what you're doing, because, you know, clubs also tend to imply that insularity. Right. It tend to imply that that you need to you need to do something maybe more to get in than you would. In, in another sort of organization and ask and using that as a frame to look at this because it's also right in you talking about having run sound for these protests against these uh, Confederate monuments, um, right? And that actually, I think, is a great uh, pivotal moment of uh, or, or way of, of seeing is this a club or is this not, right? Because you're out there um, basically opening opening yourselves up to, to the community in, in a very particular way, in a way that is um, I think vulnerable is too is putting it too strongly, right? But it is also very much like we're we're going to be out. We're not. We're also not sheltered back behind these doors. Yeah, I would say instead of vulnerable, have to lock. Instead of vulnerable, Paul, I would I would uh, add. I would say that what I'm what I think is happening is the uh, uh, on the terms of the people who you're uh, engaging yes. with. You're not you're not out there going like, look at this radio station. You're actually out there. Um, partici- it's not about us. Yeah, participating in you. the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that that's right, Eric. I think you're, you're you're getting that, and and you know, and, and certainly stations I know do this sort of thing. They do, you know, in a, like you know, often like a community event or a farmers market or something like that, and that certainly also counts. Um, but often those sometimes, not always, those are, are 
explicitly pitched as sort of recruit, truly recruitment events. Come join us, right? I mean, in the same way that you might see the Scientologists have a tent at the farmer's market as well, right? <laughs> what farmer's not, not, market not to, are you going to? <laughs> <laughs> I just go there Portland. for vegetables. Oh, <laughs> Portland, <laughs> Urban, Illinois. I've seen them. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but the point I mean, right, is is that, in, and, and you should do those things, but it's showing up and saying, you know, being of service in a way that that isn't all about you, but allows the station and the station's talent to to be uh, to be useful to to the people of the community in these different ways is important because I I could also imagine you know I, um, the station that would have a very big argument about whether or not that was appropriate to do sure right yeah well um, and we actually ended up using the student station for that uh, I had mm-hmm. I had some student partners on that um, uh, you know I think you're right the the listeners. The brand of WTJU, and the listeners will tell us this too, is eclectic music. And so, you know, uh, the student station is a little more freeform, and so that's the one we actually put it on. But, um, yeah, it all worked. It all worked. Um, I would say, too, there's, there's something, though, that um, another thinker on this kind of thing that, I, that I've been a little bit influenced by is a guy named Rich Harwood, uh, who's a, a community organizer and, and, and runs um, sort of trainings for, for aspiring community organizers. And, uh, and the, the real gist of Rich's whole message boils down to turn outward. That's the whole message, really. I mean, like, there's details, of course. But, um, but if you're part of an organization, especially one that purports to be a community service, you know, it's not that your internal culture doesn't matter. Of course it does. But you need to turn outward and think audience, right? Think people. Right? How are you reaching people? What are you doing for people? How are you carrying out your mission for people? You know, and and again, I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, <laughs> but it is something that's in my mind as I try to make decisions for the station. That's a great. Um, that's a great. That's the last word of the radio uh, radio show. But now we can enter uh, our podcast edit. And, well, I wanted to follow up on that actually. Oh so yeah, just me too. That point about Rich Hardwood. Uh, so I'm familiar with it uh, in part because my wife. <laughs> Uh, knows him and uh, and knows the organization because she works in community engagement. I mean that's that's her stock and trade. Um, and you know I've we 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 have at times talked about that intersection between community and college radio and and community engagement, true community engagement. Because sometimes community engagement means well we showed up somewhere, we said hello, we listen, you know. <laughs> We listened for a little bit, went home and filed that away, right? You know, or sometimes, unfortunately, it, it gets folded into something we would call public relations, right? Which is much more controlled and much more about getting your message out and less interested in the messages that might be transmitted to you and what might be, again, interested to in, in your community, you know. And even universities will often have a community engagement office that seems a lot more about communications and it does about engagement and that's changing and i don't you know I, i'm not I, I i'm not uh, casting any aspersions at any given institution at all um well and, no, i think, and I think, think you're of, accurate though yeah. i think it's i think that's an accurate uh, uh assessment of of how it's gone historically to a number of places and to think about that you know that in fact a radio station is is a good one is constantly in community engagement even though broadcasting is by its very nature one to many right you know except that um and and historically through time you know 
radio was conceived of as a local service, especially FM radio, by the FCC, like by by the regulatory authority. Um, and very purposely, that's why FM stations were off were not licensed to have enormous amounts of power because it was it was an actual policy decision that they should have more local footprints, right? And why until nineteen ninety six there were fairly strict ownership regulations from the idea that instead of being run as enormous chains of stations all with the same programming, because that's kind of what AM radio was. And in part, that's because AM radio um, it could be good at that uh, and a very efficient. Um, you know, it, the idea was that stations should be well more connected ownership wise and, and whichever, and, 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 you know, and, and through programming, you know, and it used to be, there were live people with phones, <laughs> Right, and and one and, and and I point that out. It sounds silly, but it's it's also very true, right? And so, you know, in in twenty twenty one, sure you have the phone, and I'm sure you still get phone calls, but there's probably also, you know, Facebook Messenger. I, I can't even imagine Twitter. What 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 platforms are important for your students and your and your community volunteers as well as as um is, is that sort of um, engagement. And so what I've heard you sort of sort of laying out what you've been able to do in this, in these last 11 months, right? It all, it all sounds very rooted. It, it all, you know, it, and, and, and someone could react to, well, of course it is, right? Of course, that's what you do. It's, it's obvious, right? Except we wouldn't be talking about it if it were so obvious in a lot of ways, right? Um, and, you know, whether it's working with, um, you know, the local hyper, hyper news agency or, you know, uh, working with the venue that's able to get some musicians in, in you know, isolated and sufficient uh, distancing so that they can, they can come on live, Um it it sounds like though I mean that takes a lot of effort like like that's just that's concerted and focused effort and and so I know certainly some of that effort is yours, um, but do you do you find that you that your volunteers you know programmers either your students or your community volunteers on the community radio side are they are they fired up about do you have some that are really great about it and 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 who really help kind of carry that torch. Uh, of course, I think I think that you know when you've got a, a collection of, of a couple hundred people, there's differences of opinion as far as you know people's commitment to this or that. I mean, everybody is there. The sort of abiding shared love is is music, um, but you know it's also kind of a, a, a fraternity for misfits in a way. You know, nobody just sort of says like. Uh, you know, why, why would you take the time to prepare a show and go do this thing for a couple hours for free instead of just like hanging out on your couch watching a, a good Netflix show? I mean, it's people who are a little quirky. Um, and so, and people who want to explore and have, have like musical adventures. Um, but also people who care about where they live, uh, who do this thing, yeah, for them and for their own benefit because they love sort of, you know, this, being on a microphone, but also to, to share, to share that passion. And, and the next extension of sharing that passion is to um, you know, kind of look at the community and see what it needs, right? Uh, and and how can we best connect people and bring people together and be that cultural hub so that people feel uh, like they belong? Um, you know, in, in, in my politics and my work and my just sort of like thinking, um, I think about... Um, you know what are the kind of the, the, the kind of like like core human needs? You know, we, we've got like four of them. You know, we we, we need to be physically safe, right? 
we need to be economically secure. Just you know, but we also need to um, feel heard and understood and a sense of belonging. And we need to be able to experience beauty or even the transcendent, if that's your thing. Um, and so, you know, community radio stations, I think, really excel at those last two, where we, we do help people feel connected uh, and we do help people experience beauty. Um, and then there's also some role for us to play. I mean, you know, with PSAs, yeah, we can, like, get PSAs out there about how to be physically safe, but that's not like, you know, people aren't, like, taking shelter at the station. <laughs> um, but at the same time, information during the early days of COVID was very much related to that. And so, you know, again, kind of looking at our community and seeing like, what are the core needs that are out there? Uh, and, and how do we use our platform to help meet them? Um, to me, that's what it's about. And I know that, uh, that, that sentiment is shared by a number of my volunteers and staffers as well in various ways, they would probably frame it or phrase it differently, but I think it's just trying to make our community a better place, you know? Um, and how so, do you inculcate that? How, how do you inculcate that in the station? Uh, through, right? Stalinist, I mean, through Stalinist gulags. Uh, no, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, well, and I'm also curious, like, over the past year, how thing, you do know, you things... Do you talk about it? I mean, you things know, have sorry, changed. Jennifer, yeah. Things have changed at the station, so is it is it easier to do these things now or more difficult? Um, you know, is it easier to meet these goals? Or are you finding opportunities with the different ways with people broadcasting from home and in the studio um, is that actually helping to facilitate some of these things that help create that kind of um, interaction with the broader community and fulfilling of these, you know, really important goals that you have? Yeah. I think that the inability to have in-person events is a, is a big tool from the toolkit to not have access to, you know, um, Digital is great, and it has definitely enabled certain kinds of connections. Uh, and we've done some kind of like online events that we never had really thought about doing before. But, you know, the, the first ones we did back in May and June had lots of people who, who signed up and registered and, and came to our, our Zoom talks. And by December, it was like 12 people. So, you know, I think there's just a, a fade of interest in that kind of thing. Same with, with like, you know, uh, streaming music performance videos. Um, and mm. so, you know, that's, that's to be expected, I think, to some extent. Um, but um, I don't know. I think here's, here's the thing. I, I look at our sector in, in community radio and, and college radio, and I look at really other sectors too, uh, whether it's housing or jobs or, or whatever. And for the most part, it seems like the coronavirus pandemic is putting everything into starker relief. Uh, the trends were already there. It's just putting it all into, into to, to starker relief. Um, and so stations that were doing pretty well and were already rooted and already had a good base of support are probably doing okay. You know, um, yeah, we lost all of our event income, but that was like my sixth most important income stream. You know, um, meanwhile, our listener donations are still strong and that's, that's the bread and butter. Um, the university support is still strong. That's the other bread and butter. Um, and so, you know, and I see that in sector after sector after sector, uh, where, you know, the inequalities that were there, the problems that were there have just gotten worse. And things that were going well have, you know, largely gotten better. Now, that doesn't apply to the restaurant industry. They've got a special set of circumstances. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know how to answer that exactly, except that um, everything feels more fraught. <laughs> uh, and I go through weeks where I feel really anxious and weeks where I feel like, yeah, I can do all the things, you know. Um, how's, the, right um, how's the podcast the podcast uh, project. Oh yeah, going. so we right. In addition, that. 
yeah. did he even talk about it last year at the beginning of the pandemic? Probably not. I don't know. I know uh, at the just um, for listeners in case uh, the first time we had Nathan on, I'll put a link in the show notes. It was now about two years ago we learned that uh, that you were building a. Uh, podcast po- network a podcast network a, yeah a, 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 some infrastructure for members of the community to come into a room in this case the station i guess and record their podcasts and then having a centralized way to uh, post these podcasts yep. and then i guess that was feeding into your airwaves sometimes question mark i forget yeah a little bit uh it is its own standalone thing so the whole idea really was was uh to and that really has been my project for the last 10 years, is pivoting WTJU from being that cool radio station that spins great records to being a community media organization. Yeah. Right? So what does a community media organization do? Well, it brings people together through through music and conversation. Um, building out a podcast collective was a, a sort of the ne- – it made sense to me. <laughs> uh, and I think, you know, some of my DJs are like, why do we do that? But But I think they also see how it matters sometimes. And, you know, and a lot of them are already on board. Um, we're already on board from the jump. So, yeah, we, we rebranded that about a year and a half ago as uh, Virginia Audio Collective is the name of it. It's online at virginiaaudio.org. So, yeah, we've got about 22 shows in active production right now. Um, and I think about four of those are actually produced by the station itself. Uh, 22 one is a, podcasts. Uh, you, yeah. can't, you can't possibly generalize, but what's, what's going on? Oh, what there are all kinds of podcasts. Making? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I would say um, most of them are digital native. They're not just like rebroadcasts of of on-air shows because we do mostly music shows. That would be very hard um, to do legally anyway. Um, One is a biweekly local public affairs podcast called Soundboard. Another is one that I host called um, Bold Dominion. It's sort of a state politics explainer for Virginia. Um, I also produce and host this little micro podcast. It's two minutes a week called This Week in Virginia History. Uh, And then... um, We've also got Jazz at 100, which is a um, it's a jazz show, basically. Like, like looks at traces the history of recorded jazz, and then the players that are that are making it today, building on the the shoulders of giants. Um, and so that is a music podcast that we managed to uh, you know distribute through PRX and otherwise. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, though, the community podcasts are all over the map. Um, um, you know, UVA Press does one. Uh, there's uh, another one on. Um, uh, it's called Democracy in Danger. That's the one with the most listens for sure. It's hosted by a couple of UVA professors about sort of democracy and big national issues right now. Um, there's another one that's sort of on, on science and kind of like how do we know what we know and, and science and society um, called uh, Circle of Willis. Uh, Is that one also – sounds like I forgot when I asked the question that not only are you a community radio station, but you're also a college radio station. So it sounds yeah. like you're now – uh, the place to go if you're a member of the University of Virginia community and you want a podcast, but yeah, you don't own microphones. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the idea for that really was to, um, and we do it all for, we, we don't charge anybody to be a part of this thing. It's all free. Uh, and so, yeah, if somebody has an idea for a podcast from the university or from the community or whatever, um, we help them develop their show idea. Uh, we provide the tech tools and studio time. Uh, we do training workshops and, and you know, kind of like teach-ins of a sort. <laughs> and uh, we also distribute the show for free. So we just, you know, get it onto all the platforms, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all the rest. Um, and we also don't really do direct marketing support, but we provide, like, here's how to do marketing for your show. Um, and so... It's a really unique community resource. I don't... I know. That's pretty amazing. To my mind, I don't think other towns... 
have this, especially the, the, you know, as soon as you said you were hosting their audio for them and setting up their feed for them, I was like, oh I my know. gosh, now I love that. Yeah, Jennifer's, <laughs> Jennifer's launching a podcast uh, independently and finding out just what a what a pain in the we're butt in that, it is to figure out how to. I know we're in that moment right now. I'm like, oh, that would be cool if that existed here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, we want to have it so that if somebody just has like content and marketing ideas for themselves, they can just do it. Everything else is easy. Um, we also then have like a peer network, and so we'll have like meetups. We've done some meetups by Zoom, but not as many. Uh, sometimes, often, actually, with a, a guest speaker. Um, and so one time the guest speaker was a woman who handled like the digital marketing for Backstory and wrote a great uh, guide called Marketing on a Shoestring. Um, right, just less. That's what you were telling me two years ago that uh, Charlottesville, Virginia is accidentally a very, um, a very audio producer kind of town. Yeah, you can't you can't throw a stick without hitting somebody who's worked in podcasting. Um, I don't know. That might be an over-the-top uh, statement. But it, there's a lot of them wandering around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes the guest speaker will be – like last month, uh, we had a guest speaker was uh, uh, Bill Seemering, who, who uh, co-founded NPR and wrote its first mission statement. So, you know, um, it's, it's a cool thing. Um, and actually, one of the um, – I found this out. There's, there's a guy named Chioki uh, Jansen. Um, who who lives in Richmond. He's the voice of NPR underwriting. Uh, and he's also a professor at VCU. And he has started with VCU and, and the ICA Museum in Richmond. They now have a community media center um, that he told me he, he based partly on my model. And I was like, well, that's cool, man. That's wonderful. So yeah, Richmond and Charlottesville both have, uh, have kind of like this thing going on now. Chiokis is probably better. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's fascinating. What What can you tell us about that community media center? So it's he opened it during the pandemic, which is the crazy thing. Um, so nobody's really going in yet, but yeah. Um, but yeah, he's had a, because he you know works for NPR as well as as the university there. Yeah, he's got connections to all these people, and so he's it's had very like, unique because we're living in a time where I'm sorry, I want you to finish your sentence. No, but I'm just so excited that I mean, <laughs> it's it's been you know the last thing I did before the pandemic changed changed my life was I was spending a lot of time at a. Portland's public access television station and it felt very much as I was becoming more and more intimately aware of what what their challenges were that 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 public media especially television especially cable access is definitely and we've done radio survivor episodes about this recently uh, or recently as in two years ago now that um that that model that that public access cable model which is so unique uh, is definitely very yeah. It's it's, it's under it's so under many threat. It's it's under so yeah. many different guns, especially because so many people can just grab their phones and talk to talk to their audiences. Although, isn't it wonderful that we've uh, lived through a moment now where so many people are finding out um, just how often you can have those audiences taken away from you, even though it's uh, people that were kind of uh, that caveat. It's I'm glad they're having their audiences taken away from them. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I, I that was three interruptions in a row. That's okay. Which, it's okay. Uh, it's let's a go back. So what? Did, tangent on what tangent. Did, <laughs> what did what did he build? What kind of community media resource did he build? So yeah, Chioki's uh, got this um, community media center in Richmond. It's part of VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, and and the ICA Museum that's located there. Um, it's it's 
kind of similar, honestly. Uh, it's it's a space to public for, access or to to, pub, no, to your it, podcasting. It is kind of similar to our our podcast okay. uh, collective, but his is a lot more focused on people who really want to get good at it. And so he's got like he'll offer trainings that he teaches himself in like interviewing skills or, mm. or writing for radio and you know kind of like building your stories, things like that, or the tech what of it. Privilege. Yeah, and then and then he's also brought in like really heavy hitter folks from NPR to be like like masterclass, you know. So um, you know, you kind of like, all right, you've got a podcast you're working on, submit an episode. Uh, this person from NPR will review it and give you feedback and and tell you how to take it to the next level. Okay, so is well, that, that's cool. Is that kind of like private classes? Is that what I'm hearing? I mean, it's or? a group class, right? But yeah, sort of like a like a group session kind of thing. Uh, so you can check it out. They've got you know fairly regular events going on. Uh, they're all by Zoom right now, but it is a Richmond based outfit. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So now between Richmond and Charlottesville, we got all kinds of audio. It's great. <laughs> Well, I should let you know that at this stage, we went off on a tangent while we were recording the conclusion of the podcast, but we come back around. Nathan brought us back um, to the main purpose of the interview today, which was my question uh, about uh, inclusivity, diversity, you know, finding uh, the right volunteers to make your station uh, function well in this day and age where it's so complicated so difficult to reach out to people because of the pandemic and nathan gave his answer which was uh, it's an ongoing part of his job as the um as a leader at these stations that he helps to run so you know like i say i got to tju in 2011 and it was just a radio station it was a good good solid radio station uh with a reputation for for good music you know jazz and classical and rock and folk um i've, I've built out a lot and now that I've been here 10 years, <laughs> it's sort of time to like, all right, now how do we kind of like pull these things together and, and grow them to the next step? Um, but yeah, so now we've got a second radio station. Okay, cool. Uh, now I've got a podcast collective. Okay, cool. Now I've got a fall concert series. Okay, cool. Now I've got a weekly concert series. Okay, cool. Um, uh, now we've got summer camps and like year-round educational programs. Great. Um, so so now it's kind of like, all right, well, how do we, how do we bring all these programs to uh, a place that's, that's better known and, and more utilized and, and again, more reflective of the community. And I think, you know, this kind of speaks to something we were talking about like, like two miles ago, but, um, but you know, some of the new things that I've built where we've been a little more intentional about who we bring, you know, invite into the door and into the room um, have done better at that, you know, sort of like reflecting the sort of ethnic diversity of Charlottesville. Um, so like our podcast collective, you know, like four or five of those shows are, are hosted by, by, uh, uh, by people of color here in town. Um, okay. um, and, uh, um, you know, the student station is, is more sort of racially diverse than WTJU. Um, certainly the concerts, you know, we, we very intentionally pair those with, with kind of community festival things. So like one week is a, a black business expo and music. Uh, another week is like this Latino, cultural festival and music you know and so like we've we've really made a point of of being really inclusive and all that what's tough is coming back to that flagship media operation wtju where people Mm. have had their shows for sometimes decades um and so yeah that's just a a, the i think the uh challenging thing to examine how do we how do we make space for for new voices and and new people to come in and be a part of it while also maintaining the people that are part of it and and uh have have kept it thriving all these years um and that's a challenge that a lot of stations face because you've only got 168 hours of airtime to work with no matter what you do and let's be honest nobody wants three in the morning so it's it's less than that (laughs) um so i think so i think that's 
that's an ongoing challenge. And I hear that about stations that are a mix of community members and students, too, that mm-hmm. if you have a lot of these longtime shows, it can be hard for students to feel like they can find a place there. And so I would imagine that's amplified even further if, you know, you're part of a community that's not well represented at a station. Yep. I think that's accurate. So, uh, again, it's just a challenge for us to face internally. Uh, you know, um, um, I, I just recognize that and want to put it out there. And, and anybody who else, anybody else who's out there working in media who hears, you know, this white guy manager of a station say, yeah, I chime. This is a big challenge for me, too. <laughs> if you're feeling it, I'm feeling it too. So, yeah. Well, my thanks to Nathan Moore for joining us today on Radio Survivor. Nathan is the general manager at WTJU and a staff advisor at WXTJ in Charlottesville, Virginia, at the University of Virginia. He's also the president of the NFCB board, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters board president radio survivor is a reader and listener supported enterprise to find out more about how you can support our work you can go to radiosurvivor.com slash support we are here every week with episodes on community radio college radio and uh, uh sound studies as well Nathan Moore has been a guest now, uh, a frequent guest, and there are links to the previous episodes where we spoke to Nathan uh, one time at the very beginning of the pandemic. One year ago, uh, we spoke to Nathan about um, his approach to running the radio stations there in Charlottesville, Virginia at the beginning of the pandemic. We also spoke to Nathan, um, I think, about a summer before that, about uh, uh, which was the first conversation about wxtj and wtju as well as the podcast collective before it was branded before they gave it that brand name which is um virginia audio collective links to everything in the show notes to for today's episode radiosurvivor.com slash podcast this is episode number 285 you can email Radio Survivor. Our email address is podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also connect with us on the social medias uh, that, uh, that Gen X and millennials tend to use, uh, Facebook and Twitter, a little bit of Instagram. Um, you know, if one person asks me to start a Radio Survivor TikTok, I would certainly think about it real hard before I decided that I was too old to try. Um but, you know, social those are the social medias that Radio Survivor currently puts its efforts into. And you can find us there. And uh, we'd love to hear from you to communicate, especially to communicate with us, not just to read our posts, but to tell us what you're thinking about and how you are reacting to, to the shows we put out and the issues that we care about. Radio Survivor is a podcast. You can always subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts, Radio Survivor is the name of that podcast. You can also listen to us anytime on our website, radiosurvivor.com. On behalf of Paul Reese Mendel, Jennifer Waits, my name is Eric Klein. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.